Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Cybos is the leading annual conference for the financial industry. Thousands of delegates working in banks and financial institutions flock to the chosen country that the conference moves to every year for days of exhibitions, seminars and networking. It sets the pace and topics for the year ahead, keeping everyone informed of what's on the horizon. I'm Rich Williams, the host of the Payments Podcast, and today I'm joined by Marcus Hughes, Head of Strategic Business Development at Bottomline Technologies. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Rich. So you're just back from a trip to Australia and Singapore, and today we're going to talk about the highlights and takeaways from the Cybos Conference in Sydney. For anyone not familiar with Cybos, how would you describe this event, please, Marcus? Well, for me, Cybos is simply uh, the most important conference of the year for the transaction banking community. Um, The event's hosted by SWIFT, which is the largest global financial messaging network, and the secure messages that they exchange on this really mission-critical network covers payments, foreign exchange, securities, and trade finance. And these messages represent a massive $6 trillion of value per day. This is a really important network. Um, This year's Cybos, which was in Sydney, attracted uh, 7,000 professionals coming from banks, fintech firms, and consultancies from all around the world. It's a really fabulous event for networking, and it is the go-to place for um, the latest expert views on where the industry is heading. The theme for this year's Cybos was enabling the digital economy. How did you feel this led to conversations that you were having? The top focus during Cybos um, was really the need for banks to accelerate their digital transformation. Uh, This theme was evident in pretty much every panel debate and presentation that we attended, as well as the many meetings that we had with our customers and with partners and prospects at the events. Um, Technology is a crucial part of banking, more and more so, um, to the extent that it was suggested by some commentators that only those banks that use technology successfully are going to survive. So at Cybos, the big debate was about how banks can compete in these new circumstances and and how they can um, embrace uh, digital transformation. For most banks, a a basic rip and replace strategy is not really a, a viable option given those huge cost implications. And where do you see this leading the future for banks and financial institutions? So I I think banks need to respond proactively to the faster-moving environment in which they're now operating. Um, It's not enough to simply take defensive measures or just do the minimum to comply with these new rules. Instead, banks need to work with fintech partners to develop more flexible, customer-centric solutions. Uh, And in doing this, they should explore cost-effective new operating models like using third-party software-as-a-service offerings. But do these fintech providers represent a threat to the banks? Uh, Yes, but I'd say only in a limited way, uh, and the isolated cases of those few unicorns which are doing one thing really well, quite typically. Um, But they are the exceptions to the rule uh, regarding those many other thousands of startups. For the rest, the best way forward is to partner with banks, Um, Many banks are already partnering with fintech firms, or at least assessing this strategy. Um, When some of those regulatory changes were first being discussed, there was a a kind of fake fear that a new breed of startup fintech firms was going to move so fast and be so innovative that they were going to eat the lunch of those incumbent banks. I I think much of that initial scaremongering or hype even is now over. 
Um, to a large extent, many of those concerns about fintech eating the bankers' lunch have now evolved into a more mature phase um, where fintech and bankers are more likely to be having lunch together and partnering with each other. Um, a number of fintech firms have already have strong relationships with banks to whom they provide valuable solutions, um, and that's often on a, a white-label basis. So at bottom line, for example, we've been doing this for years, and these well-established partnerships are now more important than ever for both parties. Um, let's not forget that banks have many advantages over the new startup uh, fintech firms. Um, one obvious reason is that banks have got uh, large customer bases and strong revenue streams. Um, likewise, banks are generally trusted by their customers, whereas many of the relatively unknown fintech firms have still got to really earn that trust. Um, banks also have the advantage of deep pockets, deep enough to potentially acquire the best of those fintechs. So not surprisingly, for many startup entrepreneurs, and even their private equity firms who are backing them, they dream of selling their fintech firms to big banks, and preferably at super high valuations, of course. So where should banks allocate their budget in these competitive times? Banking is a highly regulated industry, uh, and banks have to focus on mandatory compliance, so complying with those regulations. In fact, this absorbs the, the lion's share of a bank's budget, um, leaving only limited budget funds available for discretionary spend. Um, this risks having a negative impact on encouraging innovation, of course. Um, project overload within banks is another practical barrier to innovation, as banks are wrestling with so many conflicting demands on their time and budgets. Um, so many bank projects are mandatory, and with more to come, no doubt, this really makes it quite challenging for the banks. It's therefore important for them to find cost-effective ways to ensure their offering is competitive and up-to-date, as well as compliant, of course. So these are all really compelling reasons why banks need to consider partnering with trusted partners uh, and with industry expertise uh, and cost-effective solutions which can help banks to get that digital transformation done more efficiently. So moving back to Cyber specifically, what were some of the main challenges highlighted by the attendees at the event? Nowadays, uh, cyber fraud and financial crime just cannot be ignored especially with the growing number of banks and other organisations which are falling victim to cyber attacks. So it's clear that cyber fraudsters are just increasingly sophisticated. Um, these criminals are will willing to invest you know, significant time and money in planning highly focused cyber attacks. Uh, so this means it's essential that banks and large corporates up their game so that they can ensure they've got multiple layers of defence to help them keep uh, ahead of these fraudsters. So how might these fraudsters operate when attacking a bank or a big business? Well, cyber fraudsters begin by targeting personnel inside banks and large corporates to obtain access to payment systems. Once inside the firewalls, these fraudsters um, deploy reconnaissance malware and for many months uh, they, they're just observing uh, before they strike to see what's going on in the network with a view to really establishing what is typical behaviour and what are the normal processes. Um, databases can then be tampered with uh, to get uh, round uh, those security controls and to hide evidence of fraudulent payments. So, for example, fraudsters can um, delete inbound SWIFT messages confirming transactions. Uh, banks and corporates using SWIFT really have to be alert to the high risk of cyber attacks. Um, one valuable technique is to uh, deploy transaction and user behaviour monitoring. 
Um, this helps to detect unusual activity. Um, and this strategy should really form part of a, a bank's cyber defense. Um, a fraud prevention system should really also include the ability to flag suspicious transactions and then to be able to stop those fraudulent payments in real time. Uh, machine learning can help this process of monitoring and looking out for anomalous transactions and abnormal employee behavior. One of the worrying aspects about the adoption of real-time payments is that faster payments can in fact become faster problems. Uh, by that I mean with faster payments there's a, a real-time risk of fraud, hence control systems need to operate in real-time also, or else fraudulent payments can already have been made and be out the door before the alert is raised. Here in the UK, there's a lot of excitement about open banking. Did the delegates at Cybos share this enthusiasm? Yes, definitely. Um, open banking was a big topic at Cybos. Um, uh, an important challenge faced by banks is the risk that the many APIs being developed could become highly fragmented. This is because there's a lack of uh, common standards across the many markets around the world which are now adopting open banking. Um, banks recognise the importance of open banking going forward, but they're wrestling with their best approach to develop APIs. So, so, so let's remember that it was, it was due to the European Commission's PSD2 ruling that APIs uh, as a communication tool have been um, promoted to make um, payments across Europe more competitive and innovative. But actually, it's the Commission has been less than helpful by declining to impose a common standard. Um, fortunately for us, this is different to the UK, where at least the Competition and Markets Authority insisted that a common API standard should be developed for banks adopting open banking in this country. Um, so ironically, the European Union's decision not to impose a common API standard um, runs the risk of creating unnecessary complexity uh, to opening up of bank data because different banks and countries across the European Union may well adopt different API standards. This, this in turn puts at risk um, the PSD2's timeline and could really seriously impact the success or failure of this really ambitious uh, undertaking. So what do you think can be done to reduce the risk of fragmented APIs and to make interoperability easier? Well, at Cybos, um, there was an important announcement from SWIFT who said they're planning to um, coordinate the development of API standards globally. So that's not just for Europe, but a, a much wider scope that they'll take on. And then, then as a second phase, SWIFT proposed to deliver an API platform for their bank customers. In other words, they're looking at becoming an API aggregator. Uh, at bottom line, we certainly welcome um, this initiative by SWIFT to, to bring about um, API standardization. Um, they're really well positioned to coordinate the development of open API standards, and they actually definitely have strong credentials for this work. They're, they're already the registration authority for ISO 20022, and they maintain the, the content and integrity of that messaging format. So there's a logical extension for SWIFT into APIs. But, but for me, to be frank, this, this works not without challenges. Um, and it, just bringing all the interested parties to the table and working through uh, the conflicting points of view is going to be tough. So I hope uh, SWIFT know what they've got ahead of them. So what would you say were your four key takeaways from the event? The biggest takeaway was that open banking is becoming a global phenomenon. Uh, and more and more banks plan to use this new way of doing business. Um, Countries adopting open banking typically fall into three categories. 
Um, at one extreme, we've got countries like the UK, like Australia, Hong Kong, and, and regions like the European Union, where the use of APIs is becoming mandatory and a specific timetable has been laid down by the regulators. Um, at the other end of the extreme, or spectrum, we've got countries like China, India, and the United States, where, where adoption is market-driven and banks and payment service providers are using APIs to differentiate their product offerings. Um, in between these two categories, we've got Singapore, for example, which is encouraging the, the adoption of open banking APIs by organic transition, as the Monetary Authority of Singapore calls it. And this is providing clear encouragement without actually imposing new regulations. In this international adoption of open banking, is the main focus better services for consumer banking or do businesses get a look in as well? Well, in the early days of open banking discussions, the main focus was definitely new apps for consumers, such as personal financial management and product comparison apps. But, but Cybos showed that increasingly banks are realising that small business and corporate sectors um, really do represent a, a rich opportunity to offer exciting new propositions. Um, these are typically related to multi-bank payments and cash management, but also include areas like cash flow forecasting, um, bank fee analysis, lowest cost routing for payments, spend analysis, uh, reconciliation and even trade finance. Noting the success of faster payments in the UK, was there any evidence at Cybos of increasing the adoption of real-time payments in other countries? Yes, real-time payments was um, definitely a hot topic. Um, they're being adopted around the world with, with more than 20 initiatives to launch new real-time payment systems are ongoing today. Two of the largest and most ambitious real-time payment systems were actually launched at the end of last year. First, there's the, the SEPA Instant Credit Transfer Scheme, which covers the European Union. And second, we've got the Clearinghouse's Real-Time Payments Initiative in the US. What's striking about both these projects is they propose to work with certified technical service providers. And this is going to be a, an efficient way of connecting the large financial community cost-effectively. And also, it'll be a mechanism to encourage wide adoption of these new payment instruments by banks and other payment service providers of all sizes. This is actually great news for bottom line, um, since this approach is that's now being adopted in the European Union and the US is similar to the UK's new access model. Uh, this was developed a couple of years ago in the UK to provide easy and cost-effective access to the faster payment service. We at Bottom Line were one of the first fintech firms to become accredited as an aggregator service provider. Um, and that's how we enabled uh, banks and non-bank financial institutions to get direct technical access to the faster payments central infrastructure for making faster payments cost-effectively. Um, this position does really well to help other countries to adopt real-time payments, drawing on the expertise that we've gained here in the UK. And were there any announcements regarding the complex world of cross-border payments? Well, another important takeaway from Cybos was the, was the growing success of, of SWIFT's uh, Global Payment Innovation Initiative, which is actually usually known by its acronym GPI. So bottom line, we've worked on GPI for some of our largest bank customers, 
and we've helped them to ensure corporate customers can get um, more efficient and transparent cross-border payments. Um, this means corporates get clear information on bank charges and foreign exchange rates before they issue their payment instructions. And they can even track their payments through the payment networks, a bit like using um, tracking on, on a DHL parcel. And they, and they now even get confirmation that the beneficiary has received its payment in full. So it's a very positive development. What were the drivers for SWIFT to develop this GPI solution, Marcus? So, so ironically, um, GPI was originally um, developed and launched as a defensive measure by SWIFT. It was to fight off the threat of blockchain payment initiatives like Ripple. But it's really gone much further than that in a short space of time. Currently, there are about um, 100 banks live on GPI, and there are another 180 or so banks committed to implementing this scheme in the coming months and next year. Uh, this represents about 80% of all cross-border payments going over the SWIFT network. So historically, cross-border payments have had a, a reputation for being complex and slow and, and, and expensive, and in some cases, payments get lost, of course. So at Cybos, SWIFT were able to announce that over $100 billion of payments a day are already being sent through GPI, and that 40% of these transactions are being credited to the beneficiary's account within just five minutes, which is pretty impressive. Um, and that 95% of uh, GPI payments are credited to the beneficiary on the same day they are, initiate, they, they are initiated. This is a really big improvement compared to um, traditional settlement times, which could be two, three, or even four days for cross-border payments. So uh, an, an exciting next step for GPI is that the scheme is being expanded to allow large corporates who've got multiple bank relationships to actually track all their cross-border payments through a single multi-bank platform um, provided by their, their, by their fintech partners. Um, this is going to help bottom line's large corporate customers to streamline their global payments and their cash management. So, so with this multi-bank GPI, they'll soon be able to manage all their GPI payments in one place instead of tracking them through the individual e-banking platforms of their numerous uh, cash management banks. You mentioned earlier that the threat of blockchain. So looking ahead to the future of payments, do you have any further news on blockchain? I think that, uh, that at last it's fair to say that distributed ledger technology has gone mainstream. So distributed ledger technology is the term which many banks are using instead of blockchain to avoid confusion with cryptocurrencies which are also typically associated with the blockchain. Um, the principal areas seeing adoption of distributed ledger technology are cross-border payments, um, trade finance, and capital markets processing, uh, and also across those um, transaction banking areas, KYC and digital identity, which are very important. So I, I do think regulators are right to be concerned about crypt cryptocurrencies um, because their exchange rates are volatile and counterparties are hard to identify. And this means cryptocurrencies can be used to hide financial crime uh, and to finance terrorism. What's more, the unregulated cryptocurrency exchanges um, don't offer proper protection for consumers who invest in cryptocurrencies when they may be looking for a, a quick profit. So, so not surprisingly, banks are very cautious about using cryptocurrencies as a way of streamlining cross-border payments. In fact, one senior banker at Cybos described cryptocurrencies as a mere distraction. So looking beyond cryptocurrencies, 
Why are banks so excited about distributed ledger technology? Well, well many banks have, have, have now recognised that distributed ledger technology can help streamline cross-border payments, um, but when using conventional currencies like US dollars and GB pounds. Um, these central bank currencies are technically known as fiat currencies. So an exciting example of uh, the use of uh, distributed ledger technology in cross-border payments and using fiat currencies is the new Visa B2B Connect solution. Um, this um, initiative is being prepared for commercial launch in the first quarter of next year, 2019. Uh, and at Cybos, Visa announced a partnership with IBM for its uh, robust distributed ledger technology platform known as Hyperledger Fabric. And Visa also announced uh, a partnership with Bottom Line for our ability to make it easy for banks to access Visa B2B Connect through our cloud-based payment platform. Uh, looking at Visa B2B Connect, I'd say it's the tokenization, uh, the digital identity, and the compliance features of this new payment platform, which are key differentiators. And this means that Visa B2B Connect can protect businesses from cyber fraud and financial crime, and it can also ensure compliance against anti-money laundering regulations. There are other use cases for, um, for distributed ledger technology, and these uh, would include trade and supply chain finance and capital markets for the post-trade settlements. These activities involve really a lot of manual intensive processes, and they're still reliant on paper documents. So a number of the exciting initiatives in this area are already live commercially and are gaining traction because they help reduce costs improve visibility, and they can make these complex transactions quicker and easier to process. That's been hugely informative so far, Marcus. Thank you. I think it's clear to see that there's going to be a lot of change happening and a lot of innovation in this space, which I think should lead us nicely on to a couple of closing questions. So what do banks and financial organisations now need to focus on moving forwards? Well, well the first thing I'd say uh, here is that there's never been a period of such unprecedented change in the payments world with so many innovations and new regulations being implemented. So, so for this reason, it's um, more important than ever that banks work with trusted advisors, um, organisations who can help them to develop a digital strategy and to move forward faster and more cost effectively on their journey towards digitisation. Um, Cloud-based platforms have an important role to play here, undoubtedly. Um, open, uh, instant and cyber, I, I think, are, are three key buzzwords that uh, we should bear in mind. Open banking APIs, real-time payments and cyber security are all um, areas where banks need to focus and where they can upgrade their internal operations and they can differentiate their, their customer propositions. So banks should uh, make sure they have uh, easy and secure access to the growing range of uh, real-time payment systems around the world, uh, as well as getting positioned to be proactive in open banking. Um, adoption of cloud-based solutions is definitely helping banks to manage their costs and insulate themselves from complexity of the many changes that are going on in the market. And it helps them to, to future-proof themselves as well. Um, in the exciting area of open banking, I'd say it's important that banks capitalise on the opportunity to develop account information services 
and payment initiation services, rather than just doing the minimum to comply with these new regulations. Um, but banks don't have to take these uh, projects on their own. Um, there are fintech firms out there with expertise and technology which can really help. And finally, how do you see the UK fitting into this big picture of global payments? One thing that Cybos really reinforced, um, which is great for the UK, was that we're at the forefront of many of the key technology developments uh, which were being discussed by this very international audience in Sydney. Um, so in January 2018, open banking using APIs was introduced in the UK. And that makes this country a, a real pioneer in this initiative, which is gaining traction around the world. Bottom line, subsidiary first capital cash flow is um, already accredited by the UK Financial Conduct Authority as a payment initiation service provider and as an account information service provider. I think against this um, exciting international background, we'll certainly be using our uh, unique early experience of open banking and combining that with our risk and compliance solutions and our cloud-based access to faster payments so that we can deliver um, many exciting solutions to our customers across the world. Thanks for your time today, Marcus. My pleasure. Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.